Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. It is great to see, or great to have our listeners with us again today. And uh, Ted, continue to get feedback uh, from people who are listening, uh, the recordings of the show, the live show. So, uh I love to do this. I feel like it's such a privilege and an opportunity. It is both, my friend. Yeah. So I, I just I want to start out by uh, sharing a story. You know, we the last show we did last week was on word choice, and we have a part two today, but we're going to take it from a different angle today, because last week when we talked about the power of word choice as one of the four communication ingredients, we talked about it referring to what we say to ourselves and positive self-talk. And we talked about things like telling ourselves having to do something or needing to do something as opposed to wanting to do something. And that was just one example. Or we should have done that. Uh, Or a growth mindset versus dwelling on mistakes and how we process disappointment or failed expectations and so on and so forth. So, you know, I was thinking that uh, there was a situation where I was working with an executive this week. And he told me a story. It was a very interesting story. And he was referring to a department in, in his respective organization. And it's a department that he described most people would see as combative, combative, rigid, difficult to deal with. People didn't really look forward to dealing with them. And he also described the department as a department that really wasn't accountable for their mistakes or responsibilities. So he was telling me this story because I prompted him to talk about the challenge of managing sideways. And we often talk about managing up or managing down, but managing sideways can often get lost in the shuffle. And my definition of managing sideways is if you're working at an organization, it could be different departments. I mean, you have sales, you have marketing, you have operations, you have finance, you have customer service. So it could be working with department heads, and, and how do you communicate effectively with those department heads? If you're an educator, it could be same thing. The chair of social studies working with the chair of English and the chair of science and so on and so forth. So the moral to this story is that he told me how difficult this department was to work with. And he was telling me that he stood up in a meeting after a, a long time of frustration. And as he explained it, he said, you know, I ripped them a new one. I told them where they could go. And I got to tell you, Mark, you would have been proud because when I got finished speaking to that department chair, the rest of the people in the room stood up and gave me a standing ovation. So I said to him, I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you think you got a standing ovation for ripping the person a new one? Or do you think you got a standing ovation for advocating for the people that felt slighted by the department? And so he said, well, yeah, I guess when you put it like that, it was really more because I stood up for what I thought was right. And it got me thinking about word choice. And Ted and I have playfully argued about the word confront and vent in the past. But it made me think, and I, and I looked at him and I said, well, let me ask you this. Do you think it got to a point where you could have said something three months earlier, six months earlier, nine months earlier, where you still could have advocated but maybe you didn't let yourself get to such a point of pent-up frustration where you had to, as you said, rip them a new one or unload. 
And so he agreed. And so I tell this story, listeners, because when I think about word choice, it's one thing to pick the right words. It's another thing altogether to remove the barriers that interfere with our ability to pick the right words. And Ted, you know, the biggest barriers into word choice or among the biggest barriers are when you're frustrated or angry with someone because you're triggered emotionally and you struggle to say what you want to say. Yeah, the uh, unfiltered Ted comes out and I have uh, little or no defense against him. I can be as mindful as the next person, but if my buttons are pushed, out he comes. Well, and what's interesting here is one of the decisions we make as leaders, as parents, as educators, as coaches, is we make decisions on what's worth talking about and what isn't. A lot of people like to say, well, I, I, don't, I, only, I don't fight small battles. I don't waste my time on the smaller things, which is, yes, that's societal etiquette. You're supposed to say that. You don't want to fight the small battles. But the question is, internally, do you really believe it's a small battle? And so one of the challenges I see with people in leadership positions a lot is they decide it's not worth talking about, but then they internalize their frustration. And so the example is, and I think this is a really powerful example, if someone's late for work one time as a leader, you're probably not going to say anything because you're like, you say to yourself, well, things happen. You're late for work. It's okay. And then it happens a second time. And then you're like, well... Yeah, it's not ideal, but you know what? They do a really good job for us, and I don't want to micromanage, and I don't want to nitpick because they really do do a good job. And then the third time, now you're frustrated. Now you're pissed. Now you're annoyed. And so guess what happens? When you communicate your frustration in the words, you're on the third time, and they're on the first time because it's the first time you've said anything, but in your mind, it's the third time it's happened, so you're on a different level of anger and frustration does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I, I, In my background, what we always did was we made it clear that if you're not here, you're stealing time from the company. And it's theft. And how do you plan to, te- you know, pay it back? And, you know, I used to do that at meetings and say, pay up. And they'd say, what? Yeah, you were late to the meeting. It's a buck for every minute depending on the audience, of course. Sometimes it was 10 bucks a minute. And we'd use that money to buy a meal for everybody. And that way, you know, they felt like they were getting something. And at the same time, they never wanted it to happen again. Yeah, I like that. And, and, and so he, here's where we're going with this, right? So we're talking about knowing your triggers, not letting frustration build up, to interfere with you being mindful of using the right word choice. Now, there's a phrase I teach people a lot. It's called communication ambiguity. And communication ambiguity is a phrase that words are left out in discussion to create confusion, not on purpose all the time, but sometimes the communication is just so unclear, expectations are unclear, that it creates ambiguity. And when the ambiguity exists, it causes people to make faulty interpretations. It, it causes people to default to the negative because that ambiguity exists. So think about the word micromanage. 
Talk about word choice. Think about the word micromanage. Everybody, I mean, have you ever met anybody that says, I would love to be micromanaged? Like nobody wants to be micromanaged, right? And so there's there's a connotation to the word micromanage. And the connotation is that if you need to be micromanaged, you're not good at your job. You're not an independent worker. You need to be babysat, essentially. Right? Yes. So the thing about the word micromanage is it's not a simple word because your definition of micromanage could be different than mine. And I'm going to give you an example. So when I've had people work for me in the past, one of the things I've asked them to do their first three or four months on the job is when I send them an email request to do something, I like them to reply done when it's done. Now, that could be considered micromanaged because the person could look at me and say, well, why do I need to do that? If, if you ask me to do it, I'm just going to do it, right? Well, guess what? The truth of the matter is, is because I've been disappointed enough over the course of my career when someone said they're going to do something. So now I've asked that little foolproof method to be put into place. But again, my point is someone could see that as micromanagement. And what happens in the workplace a lot, this is why this is a very powerful word, What happens in the workplace is leaders, just like salespeople who try so hard to not be called salespeople, leaders try so hard to not be seen as micromanagers. And sometimes you can go the opposite direction. Sometimes you can be two hands off. Sometimes you cannot create the structure and the accountability that your department or team members need. And you think you're doing them a favor because you're not, quote unquote, right. micromanaging them, right? Right, right. And unfortunately, because we're human beings, it builds and builds and builds. And then all of a sudden you come crashing in and now it confirms their fear of being micromanaged. So absolutely, Ted. And so here's an example to remove communication ambiguity, okay? So let's say I was interviewing someone for a job. And during the interview in context, I said something like, hey, just for curiosity, have you ever had a boss that micromanaged you? And so the person says, oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I have. And I said, so what did they do that made you feel micromanaged? You may be shocked at what they say back. Because there are some things that you believe are an effective way to manage. But if you're so worried that other people will see you as a micromanager, You may not even use your own secret sauce that you believe would be an effective way to manage. So this is what I mean about word choice. You know, to me, look at the difference between these four words, listeners, right? Micromanage, oversee, nurture, or support, right? And so I think the key when it comes to that kind of word choice is we need to set expectations for what we're doing and why we're doing it. Be vulnerable and share. I would have no issue looking at someone that works for me and saying, listen, the reason why I need you to send me done emails is because I don't trust easily and I've been disappointed in the past when people have said they're gonna do something and they're not. And you may be nothing like those people. You may be the most reliable person I've ever hired, but in all fairness, it would give me peace of mind and make me feel better. Now, by me giving that 30-second explanation and being vulnerable of why I'm asking, it's seen differently. It's not seen as necessarily micromanaged. Now, if after four months, the person has proven 
that they are reliable and consistent and I'm still asking them to do it, well, that's a different story now, right? So just think about word choice, micromanage, oversee, nurture, support, right? Help, by the way, before we go to break, I just want to cover one thing. And then when we get back, we're going to talk about criticism, the word choice around criticism. But the word help, if you need help, it implies you're in trouble. Think about that. I need help. Oh, is something wrong? Are you broken? Do you need to be fixed? So that's another word that help can be really taken different ways. So we will continue. We're going to talk about criticism and feedback when we come back from our first break. For I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman. We'll see you in a few. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, so, you know, we're back. Uh, If you'd like to call on the show, it's 508-871-7000. That's 508-871-7000. So Ted and I were talking during the break, and uh, Ted and I think alike quite often, and we were talking about, Ted used the expression defining terms. And so, see, what really is interesting about the, what it made me think of when he said it is think about people who say, I wear my heart on my sleeve, I tell it like it is. The hidden message from those people is this, I don't want to guess from you. I want to know what you're thinking, why you're thinking it. And that's why I wear my heart on my sleeve and tell it like it is, because I want the same back from you. Now, you may never have thought about it that way, but that's why they say it. In the whole movie, What Women Want with Mel Gibson, right, we all wish we could read what people are thinking. So when Ted says defining terms, or when I say set expectations, we're just, that's what removes communication ambiguity. Like that, we're just saying, don't make people guess. People don't know what's inside your head. So when you, the example I gave about micromanage, the example I gave last week, about you, your expectations you have of people because you hold yourself to high standards. You expect everybody else to be held to high standards. Well, they don't know what your standards are. You don't need to be recognized or appreciated or get on a pat, a pat on the back so you don't give it. Well, they might need the recognition and appreciation. Just because you don't need it, they might need it. So defined terms is removing the ambiguity in communication so everybody can get on the same page. Now, I promised when we came back from the break, we would talk about criticism. Now, Ted, this is this to me is one of the funniest things about word choice. I mean, there's so many good examples in word choice, but this might be the best one. So no one wants to be criticized, right? So we took criticism and we said, oh, don't worry. It's not criticism. It's constructive criticism. So now... It's not so bad, right? We're not feeling criticized no, no, no. anymore. That's not at all. Right? <laughs> then we take constructive criticism and we change it to constructive feedback. Yes, feedback. That's it. Because if you're giving me constructive feedback, I don't think I'm being criticized anymore Absolutely. now that you've called it constructive Absolutely feedback, yes, right? right. And then we're at the pinnacle. We've now taken constructive feedback and we call it developmental feedback. Ah, yes. But I, but I, but I will say, listeners that 
This is a powerful example because if someone is going to give you criticism, if someone's going to tell you that they're criticizing you or you hear it as criticism, criticism is a very polarizing word. No one wants to be criticized. But if I'm giving you feedback to help you develop your career, to do your job better, it's different. But see, the key is, this is the trick around criticism versus feedback. It's not changing it to constructive criticism, to constructive feedback, to developmental feedback. It's how you deliver. That's where it comes in, right? And we're not, by the way, we're not doing uh, how you say it tone this week. Maybe we'll do that one next week. This is word choice. But the bottom line is that's what's the separator is how you give it. By defining the terms or in your sense, explaining yourself before you deliver the punch. <laughs> you take the sting out of it. It's not, you know, the difference between a punch and a punch you don't see coming is like night and day, meaning you'll be out cold. So if you start it this way and say, as a sense of mentoring you in the job you're doing, please understand my next comment. So you define the terms, you set it up, you serve it up, not on a silver platter, but in a sense of what's real. Yeah, now let's take let's take another pair of words. We're going to go, we have the words uh, confront or discuss, right? If you hear confront, I need to confront that person. That may feel heavy to you or the other person. Ted doesn't like this. But if you discuss, it doesn't feel as daunting. But here's, here's a really powerful one. The word vent. Because vent is a multi-pronged one, right? Because with vent, if you're going to vent, the receiver of the communication may feel you're angry. You may not come across as emotionally balanced in that moment. But here's the key. Ted and I are buddies. If Ted calls me up on the phone and he says, Mark, I need to vent to you about something. The key to me is that when someone tells me they want to vent, What I read in that situation is often they're looking for support. They want to be heard. Okay, so if Ted wants to vent, he's expecting me to support him, listen to him, right? But the role that people play with venting is often a negative role because the receiver may rile the other person up. So if Ted vents about, oh, this Chris Thompson, man, he is, we love Chris, by the way, but this Chris Thompson, you know, Oh, he's so difficult to work with, blah, 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 blah. Well, can I disagree with Ted? Like, in that moment, is what if I don't feel that way about Chris? Well, if he's venting to me, the last thing... It's your role to listen. That's right. And so the last thing he wants is for me to disagree with him while he's frustrated in venting. But if he says, let me share something with you. Let me share a frustration. Now, I might see my role as a little different because he's sharing it. It may be collaborative. Again, you define the terms and set up what you need. So vent is one-sided. Collaborating and sharing is often not. So look, we're about to go into our second break, but this is the final thought I want you to think about before we head into our next break. When you use words to set up conversations with people, when you use words to communicate with people, their willingness to listen, to be influenced, to be motivated, to commit to something you're asking is directly impacted by how you introduce these concepts in the conversation. It's that simple. People get very easily 
feel like they're put on the defensive, they feel criticized, they feel ex- accused, and then they get in defend and justify mode, and you've lost them. Once they get in defend and justify mode, you've lost them. 30 seconds. And then it becomes, they feel victimized, and the exact issue you were bringing up in the first place gets lost in the shuffle. So when we come back for our next segment, we're going to talk about how to use word choice to reframe negatives to positives in an authentic and genuine way. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. So welcome back to the show. And one of, one of the reasons why I like um, and I focus on conversation intelligence and communication intelligence when I work with leadership and sales teams and so on and so forth is because there's such an art to it, Right. Um, later on this afternoon, I'm doing a mediation between two people at a company, two leaders at a company that are not seeing eye to eye. And in that mediation, I've talked to both of them and coached them on how to make this conversation impactful and effective. And the key in that conversation, well, there's a lot of keys in the conversation, right? Body language, word choice, tone, listening, and so on and so forth. But see, once one of them uses a word in that conversation that minimizes or devalues or criticizes the other, the conversation can go off the rails. I mean, we could be 30 minutes into that conversation, a lot of progress could be made and going well, but then once one of them slips up, it can distract and disrupt from the the progress that's been made. So this is another reason why being thoughtful of your word choice. During the break, Ted talked about silence is golden. We all know that expression, right? But, but let's, let's, Let's take a minute to think about what the expression actually means, right? Silence is golden. If you get triggered, if you get frustrated by something, a word or a phrase that someone just said, use some time to be quiet and think about how you want to respond to it. That's what silence is golden. Like silence is a pause. It's a reflection. It's time to determine what you want to say, how you want to say it, okay? Now, We're living in an era right now where one of the biggest areas word choice is coming into play is change management. So because so many people in the workforce and in education and even in sports for that matter, there's so much change going on that people are so resistant. People, frankly, before the pandemic, people are pretty resistant to change anyway, right? The pandemic just exacerbated that. It existed though well before the pandemic. But the thing is, is when you tell someone something is going to be different than what they've come to expect and know and have experienced, that's not fun. I mean, I I struggle personally. If I have plans with someone and those plans get changed at the last minute, that I struggle with that. that. That's a lot of change for me. So when you're talking about how to communicate change to an organization, the words you choose are powerful, very simple. 
Ted, leader sits down with the team. There's been a change in a policy and a procedure for the organization. So there's two ways I can start this meeting. Number one, okay, I've called you all together again because I need to let you know about a big change that's happening. Well, if, if I was in that room and I heard about a big change, now I'm completely distracted because I'm starting to get selfish now. Oh, a change? How's that going to affect me? What am I going to have to do? Right. Is there extra Blood work? Blood pressure rises. Right. People sit back in their chair. Their arms get folded. All sorts of things can happen if you start off on that foot. Now, option number two is the reason why I've called you all together again is, you know the policy we've had up until this point on such and such? Yes. Well, you'll be happy to know we've enhanced the policy. We've improved the policy. We've updated it a bit. Enhanced, improved, updated. Not change. Enhance, improve, update. Progress words. Progress words. Now, look, I'm not... A lot of leaders look at me when I say this and go, Mark, listen, people can see through this stuff, right? You know, they still see it as a change. And my response is, they may. But that's not the point. The point is... You're trying to keep them open-minded, and you're trying to keep them in a listening mode. And the second you introduce the word change, there's a good chance you've lost them, and they'll be distracted because of the fears they have around change. You know, Mark, you make a very good point, and not everybody is willing to accept or use humor when great events take place. But um, I'm not, you know, a, a genius, but I've read a lot of guys and ladies who talk about using humor to get your audience in a position to then absorb the message. Well, go ahead. Finish your thought. Well, um, th- the thing is, is that I would always start a change meeting with these words. There's only one thing that you're guaranteed that won't change, and that is that everything will change. And everybody in the room goes, ah, oh, Ted, we've heard that a million times. Ah, well, that's why I'm here. We've got to change. And then, you know, everybody's a little looser. I'll stop. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, you're good. And, and so, so the thing is, right, is that when people hear the word, it, it conjures a negative. I mean, think of sales and customer service for a moment. Think of a customer service person that has to call a customer to say the pricing has changed or their ability to get get what they normally got has changed. So using the words differently to communicate what's going on is critical. And I understand we have a caller to the show. Ryan, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Thank you, Mark. First time caller. Really uh, appreciate listening to you and Ted, you know, uh, regarding these topics that we're talking about today. The one thing I did want to ask you, Mark, is uh, you talked about kind of those two um, people within that organization that are kind of mediating um, the, some differences that they have. And I've kind of, kind of come across that same type of uh, kind of situation with a colleague of mine uh, with some territory crossover. So back over me about a year and a half ago, um, I had probably one of my, I had my best year at my company. And, you know, managers came to me and basically said, we're taking away half your territory. And, you know, I got distracted, like you had just mentioned on the call, you know, just really like, I don't like change. I mean, nobody likes change. You know, how is this going to affect me? They're disrupting my progress in the company. And they didn't really define their terms to the reasoning being on why this territory was being, um, you know, kind of taken away from me. And so I really haven't really 
still to this day haven't really been able to get like a really clear you know kind of uh, answer from my from my managers on kind of communicating to me on 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 why those changes were made and I and I think that's something that I really took from this from this discussion so far today was kind of defining terms you know on on before you know they're telling me okay we're taking away your territory okay well define those terms explain to me why you're doing that and yeah that's not something that was ever communicated to me yeah Ryan so first of all congrats on having such a great year that's awesome to hear and uh, I think it's a phenomenal example you're bringing up because see this is an example where Ryan's talking about. What happens if they don't define terms? You know, what do you do then? And in the example he gave, he has a great year. He's been successful. He's demonstrated he's good at what he does, but yet they're taking away half his territory. And so one of the things that the key here, right, when you are put on the defensive and when something is being taken away from you or you feel criticized or short shorted, of, to speak, I think that you need to insist that the other person defines the terms. Right now, in this case, again, look at the word insist. Insist seems very, like, aggressive. But I don't mean be aggressive. I would mean that what I would want Ryan to do in a situation like that is when they tell him he's having half his territory, I want Ryan to say, listen, I I, got to admit I'm a little taken aback and caught off guard. I'm wondering what is causing you to do this. Now, my guess is Ryan did something like that. So the first pass is be curious, ask questions to get those terms defined, insist the terms are defined. But let's say Ryan does that, and then he gets an answer he doesn't like, right? So, and Ryan, thanks for the call. I appreciate you coming on the show. And let's say, he, you, he, let's say he gets an answer he doesn't like. Well, then what does he do, right? Well, then he continues to ask questions until he gets the terms defined. And this is what he does. So he gets the answers as well. You know, we added a new salesperson up there. It's what we needed to do, so on and so forth. Well, that's not Ryan's problem, right? That's the company's problem. So what I would do if I were Ryan in that case is I would say, listen, I certainly appreciate that you've added a new salesman. And I imagine it must be tough to, do, to you know, delve out territory. With that said, it doesn't seem appropriate that my territory would be cut in half when I'm one of the top salespeople in the company and I'm delivering so could you educate me on why, after having such a great year, that I'm, I'm the one kind of suffering? Now, the key for Ryan in this conversation is you can insist people define terms, but when you're communicating with someone, you're not just because you communicate assertively with the right words and the right tone and the right body language, you're not guaranteed an outcome, right? You're just not. And so when Ryan asks these questions, he's curious. He wants clarification. See, that's a key word. He wants clarification, right? He may not get the answer he likes. At the end of that conversation, his boss may look at him and go, listen, I appreciate your concerns. I don't blame you. I'd probably feel the same way. And guess what? Life's not fair. You know, and that might be the gist of the message Ryan gets back. And what I worry about people when they communicate, this is a this is a deep-seated fear when I train and coach people on communication is, if you do the right things when you communicate, you use the right word choice, you use the right tone, you use the body language you're supposed to, you model it, and you listen actively and curiously, and you don't get the outcome, is your takeaway, well, see, why did I bother? You know, why did I speak up for what I thought was right? Because it's not going to matter anyway. 
And that's what I referred to as a resignation mindset. And so this is the thing. People have all these rules about when they're willing to have difficult and courageous conversations. Well, with Ted, I'll do it because he'll he'll be open-minded. But Chris, no, I'm not going to bother. He's not open-minded. And then we start making all these judgments and assumptions about people because of we may have had experiences with them in the past where they exhibited that they weren't open-minded. But heck, even if you've had experiences with those people, it may have been on certain topics they weren't open-minded. Not that they're not open-minded, period. So in Ryan's example, it's critical. You have to make a decision as a human being. You have to build a template for yourself to say, look it, this is who I want to be as a communicator. I want to be an assertive communicator who is mindful about the words I choose who is mindful about the tone I use when I'm communicating those words, who not only models good body language, but when I'm interpreting body language of others, I'm not assuming it. I'm getting clarification on what that body language means. And you're actively and curiously listening. If you're sitting here and listening to the show and you're saying, oh my God, that's exactly who I want to be. Well, if that's what you're striving for, then the outcome of the conversation shouldn't discourage you from doing that consistently. Said it before, and I'll say it again. You can't control other people. You can only control your thoughts and actions. So what you have to do is make the commitment saying, this is my template for communication. Whether it elicits the outcome I want, it's who I want to be as a communicator. And by the way, before we head into our final break, that doesn't mean... You don't pay attention and you adapt when you need to adapt. And mirror communication can be appropriate at times. It just means have that as your foundational rules to be an assertive and effective communicator and let the chips fall where they may. And that's really what it comes down to. And when you're reframing negatives to positives, right, be authentic, but use words that make it feel like an opportunity as opposed to a threat, right? You've all heard of a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. The biggest key in reframing a negative to a positive is converting it from a threat to an opportunity. And if you're not sure how to convert it to an opportunity, then ask someone for help so you can find the words and the language to do so. And before I get any emails or calls after the show, final thought before we end a break is please use situational awareness. I'm not saying 100% of the time you can convert threats to opportunities, but way more often than you think you can. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back for our last segment. continues on full service radio 830 wcrn once again here's your host mark altman okay welcome back to i communicate for our final segment and you know this last segment we're gonna we're gonna wrap up our two weeks of word choice by talking about the word avoidance and what's interesting about the word avoidance and let me frame it to you this way a lot of times when people tell themselves that someone else won't listen to them, won't hear them, won't change. 
it's not really the truth. And the truth is you are just avoiding a difficult conversation that you don't really either want to have or know how to have. Because it could be either, right? Maybe you want to have it, but you don't know how to actually put your words together and approach it the right way. Uh, one of the guys on the station is a hypnotist, uh, Bob Martell. Yep. And he firmly believes that all human beings are capable of this. He calls it creative avoidance. Love it. I, yeah. And I think it, and what I, a lot of times, Ted, what I try to do, you know, when I'm coaching and training is help people discern the truth, right? Because because that to me is a big problem for people knowing what their barriers are, why they can't do or won't do what they want to do. It's because they don't know the truth. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples that really frustrate me. And one of them is a prospect telling a salesperson they won't be moving forward. Or a company or someone in HR telling a job applicant they won't be hired or won't be moving forward on their interview or whatever. And see, what happens is I don't think it's malicious. When people get ghosted, I did a show a lot while back on ghosting. When when a prospect ghosts a salesperson because they can't, they don't tell them the bad news, or when a company doesn't ghost a job applicant, you know what? I don't think it's malicious. At least 90% of the time. I think it's they feel bad and they don't know how to communicate the bad news. And guess what? This is what I tell salespeople all the time. I say, this is why you gotta call people and not email them. Because it's so much easier to give bad news over an email than in a phone call. This relates to how people hear others obfuscating. Sometimes people just can't face the music, even to themselves. And to the person observing it, it looks like obfuscation or or they're avoiding what really is in front of them. Joe Lyman, eat your heart out. I mean, obfuscation, I mean, that word... Woo! That's a beauty, Ted. God, I love it. Um, But you're right, Ted. And that's true. And so facing the music, you know, what do you owe somebody, right? If I'm a salesperson, right, and I spend time, a half hour, an hour, two hours, phone calls, presentations, whatever, is it fair for me to expect a response, an acknowledgement from a prospect that says, thank you for the time you spent, We've decided to go in another direction. That's the two senses, right? It would take a prospect no more than 10 or 20 seconds, right? And guess what's happening? When the prospect ghosts, the salesperson keeps sending more emails and making more phone calls and keeps believing that something's going to happen. So word choice, this, this avoidance thing is, sometimes it's not you don't know the words. Sometimes you absolutely know the words, but you're not comfortable telling them. And you don't, you don't, because in your heart, you don't want to hurt people's feelings and disappoint them and let them down. But see, the problem I have with that is that's not an excuse. I get that your, your motive is not malicious and negative intent, but I do feel like we have a responsibility to reciprocate communication. And in the same way, when someone interviews for a job and they maybe have gone through a couple of interviews and then they get blown off, they're not even told that they didn't get the job or why they didn't get the job. And listen, I, I know there's companies out there that if they were to communicate as big companies that have thousands of employees, 
And imagine if they had to communicate with every applicant. Yes, imagine that. Imagine if you paid those applicants the respect by sending a two-sentence email to acknowledge that they didn't get the opportunity. This is an opportunity to represent your company and show personal courage and not avoid. And I, and I feel like so much of word choice revolves around the word perception because when you use certain words, people have already defined their own terms around those words. So if those words trigger people, put people on the defensive, make people have to feel like they have to justify something, it's not the right words. And so my final thought for the show today is when you talk about ghosting or not responding, often leaders do a good job empowering their team to share ideas or opinions or innovations, but then the leaders don't often get back to the person to tell them what was the outcome of their idea, strategy, or innovation. So think of the power of someone had the, someone had the courage and confidence to come to you and then you go back to them and say, hey, by the way, remember that idea you brought to me two weeks ago? I ran it up the flagpole, advocated for it, talked to the person. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do it this time, but keep those great ideas coming. As opposed to just blowing off and not giving the person follow-up or update. So word choice, it's not only about picking the right words, it's also about not avoiding the use of words by ghosting because conversations aren't always easy, but they're important and they need to happen. So that's our two, two shows on word choice. We're going to come back next week and we're going to work on the second communication ingredient of tone and how you say it. And we'll open up all kinds of cans of worms with tone. And uh, Ted, thanks again for another great show. Um, for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. If you'd like more information on how Mindset Go can help you or your company with communication... 978-793-1159 or info at mindsetgo.com. Have a great rest of the day. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.